0: Church. I'm Tara and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. And I'm Sandra and we are so thankful to be gathering with you this morning.
1: If you're on the Sunday morning live platform right now, feel free to say hi in the chat as we get started.
0: <laughs> there are a number of people we want to welcome. Hello to those of you gathered live on Sunday, including our student watch party <laughs> and any other watch parties out there. And hello to everyone watching or listening to this later on in the week.
1: And a very special welcome to any of you joining us for the very first time. We are so glad that you have chosen to spend time with us this morning and hope you feel at home today. So be sure to check out our website as it contains helpful information about who we are. As for now, we'll touch on some things related to your first gathering here at Centerway.
0: Yeah, I'm going to start with a quick overview of the online platform in case you're gathering live on Sunday morning. You'll find tabs right on the platform that will allow you to share your information with us, which we'd love, especially if it's your first visit, so that we can follow up and get feedback from you. Also in the tabs, you can explore next steps and find previous messages, and if you call Centerway Home and would like a convenient way to give, there's a tab to do that. You can also ask questions or request prayer, and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're not on the live platform and you're watching or listening to this message later in the week, you can do many of those things through our website. For anyone out there, guests or familiar faces, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, we would love to help and serve you. Please just email us at connect at And there are also ways in which
1: you can engage throughout the week, such as connecting with us on social media or through our website where you can find devotionals that correlate with a message to help take you deeper on your spiritual journey. Also for those of you with kids, be sure to check out our kids' message. They learn from the same scripture texts the adults do, which is a really cool way for families to grow together.
0: Absolutely, like Sandra said, there are other resources available to you. So we encourage you to check out the next steps page and the messages page for additional info. Well, we are very excited to be starting a brand new series today. We just wrapped our unnoticed series, which was amazing. If you wanna revisit any of those messages or resources, they will continue to live on our website on the messages page. Just scroll down to the series archive to find the unnoticed series and all our previous series. You can also find an Instagram highlight with all the applications. As for today though, This kicks off nine weeks talking about greater expectations. We're so excited to stay in the book of Mark and continue growing together through this series.
1: Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Anna will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Tara and I will close out in ways to respond in worship. Right after that you can join us on live on Facebook or Instagram um, to
0: respond in song. Now here's Anna with the text for today.
2: My name is Anna Ogden, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, through Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again. but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power.
3: Hello, and welcome. My name is Claude, and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we begin a brand new series entitled "Greater Expectations." Greater Expectations. Uh, this morning's message specifically is entitled "Temporal versus Eternal." And we're wrapping up uh, the end of Mark chapter 8. As we begin this new series, we actually have to be mindful of the series we just concluded. If you're joining us for the first time, last week we concluded the Unnoticed series. And uh, as that kind of wrapped up, it wrapped up with a statement that the Apostle Peter made in response to a question that Jesus asked. Uh, It was a question that Jesus asked about his identity. Uh, Jesus actually asks a question and Peter's response is considered the climax of the entire book of Mark and so this is the question Jesus asks in case you weren't with us he says who do you say that I am and Peter responds with four incredible words you are the Christ you are the Christ and as a result of that statement everything is different as it should be of course And so we're going to spend the next nine weeks talking about the implications of that statement. We're going to grapple with our expectations and the reality of the greater expectation because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Honestly, I'm really excited about the journey. In fact... um, I love journeys in general. Uh, I love adventure. And if, uh, if I can think of something that kind of puts all of the journey and adventure together, it's this idea of hiking. I love to hike. And uh, I love challenging myself. I love the hard work and the payoff of completing what it is that I set out to do. I love when it's like, I'm going to go do this. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to get there and uh, I'm going to celebrate when I get there. Some people say that the, the payoff of a hike is really more about the view. And I think there have been incredible views. Some of the hikes, when I've gotten up to the summit, the views are breathtaking. Um, but I want to submit to the idea that if your joy in hiking is connected to the view, then you're going to find no joy on the days that that view is obstructed. And there have been plenty of times that I've worked really hard to get to the summit only to find that a cloud has pushed in and there's absolutely no view. And in that moment, if my joy was connected to that, I would be absolutely devastated. Now, I think think the joy has to be in the completion of the goal. I think that's where joy has to kind of be connected. You see, if that's where joy is found in something as silly as hiking, then you can enjoy the journey as long as you're moving forward, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, because you know that you're moving towards the goal. You're pressing on towards the goal, right? That sounds familiar if you've been uh, in a church for any amount of time. The Apostle Paul equates that to running a race, the spiritual journey of running a race and um, enjoying the journey of pursuing the goal. I remember one of the first times I went hiking, Uh, I was a kid, I I think I was somewhere around seven or eight years old, and we had been trained on how to use a compass. And uh, we were given these coordinates and we were broken up into groups and we had different coordinates and so we were headed off in different directions. And I remember uh, the group of people, I remember there was one person that was in our group that was immediately suspect. He just seemed to be kind of complaining about everything. And as we're going along and we're following this compass, uh, he insisted that he wanted to hold the compass. He wanted to try the compass. And so he's looking at it and he's holding it and he says, we're we're going the wrong way. We're on the wrong path. And I remember everybody being like, what? What do you mean we're going the wrong way? And so we kind of hand the compass off and we're holding it. We're looking, we're like, no, we're going the right way. He's like, no, no, we're going the wrong way. I remember one of the guys says, why, do you, why are you so convinced we're going the wrong way? If the heading is right and we're all in agreement, why do you think we're going the wrong way? And he said, because it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. What are you talking about? And so I remember one of the guys actually looks at him and says, wait, have you been here before? Like, did, did one of the leaders tell you that it wasn't going to be difficult, you know, or that we weren't going to have to face this uphill challenge? Because we had to go, we were down in the bottom of a ravine at this point. So we had to go up this steep incline. And uh, he said, No, I, I've never been here before. Like nobody told me anything. And so one of the other guys says, We're going the right way. We're going the right way. You just don't like it. You just don't like it so profound. Little did I know that there was like this illustration happening for life right before me at seven, eight years old. Well, jump ahead. We were right. We were right. We found the leader where he was supposed to be. The coordinates were correct. It was a ton of work. But this one guy, he did not enjoy the journey. He did not enjoy the journey. He was complaining the whole time. He was exhausted. He was angry. He was convinced we were going in the wrong direction. Certainly, if the leaders loved us, if they cared about us, they would not make this journey so difficult. (laughs) So here's the question I want to ask you as we move into the text today. Why do we associate difficulty with a wrong path? Why do we associate difficulty with a wrong path? Why is that? Why do we as humans, because we all do it as humans, even when we know something is right, we begin questioning it and we even regret it at times at the moment in which it becomes difficult. When it gets hard, it's like, what if I would have chose this instead? (laughs) What if I'd have done that different? What if something would have played out differently? In fact, maybe I'm in the wrong place. Why do we do that? I can give you endless examples. Endless examples of when college gets hard and then you wonder if you're in the right college. Do you have the right major? Maybe I should change it for the 15th time. (laughs) Do do I have the right job? Because certainly, I mean, when I get to my job, it should be so much fun and and just joy overflowing. I must be in the wrong profession. Or maybe I'm in the wrong relationship because this is more than just hard work. I mean, this is difficult every day. The, The list goes on. We could use endless examples. As humans, we do this. It's as if we've been taught that there's a path without difficulty and that if we could just choose correctly at every turn, we would just hit that path every day of our lives. In fact, some people, they do it and we're just missing out. It's absurd, right? It doesn't make any sense. No matter the path you take, there's difficulty. Jesus even says it, that there's gonna be difficulty in this world. The question should be more around knowing that you're on the right path than whether or not the path is hard. You see because if you're on the right path, then the then the then the hard feels productive. It feels meaningful because you know that you're right. And so you're pushing forward. We associate difficulty when, with a wrong path because we want easy. That's the truth. Like that's the embarrassing secret of humanity. And the reason why it's an embarrassing secret is because nobody wants to kind of admit that they're looking for the easiest path or the path of least resistance. But it is that simple. Even if you're the hardest of workers, and I know there's some of you that are listening that are just incredibly hard workers, I'm not taking anything away from you. Even if you are the hardest of workers, you are pleasantly surprised when something goes easier than expected. And there it is. There we have it. Expected. Expected. I want to submit to you that the problem lies in our expectations. In our expectations. Unmet expectations and difficulty cause us to question our path. Cause us to question where it is that we're headed with our one and only life. We expected it to be different. Listen. Sometimes hard Is right. Let me say that one more time. Most of us don't like this. Sometimes hard is right. It's right. It's difficult. I get it, but it's the right path. In today's text, Peter's expectations collide with God's path. And let's look at this a little bit closer because I think we have a lot to learn as we begin in verse 31. Verse 31, it says, And he began, this is Jesus now, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. This is a critical verse on so many levels. First and most obvious, it's that Jesus just plainly states what will happen. Here's the deal. (laughs) Peter has just said, you know, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to be rejected by all the people that matter in society. And then just so you know, I'm going to die. And then I'm going to raise again in three days. He just says it. There's no parable. There's no deeper meaning. He says it plainly. Now, the less obvious critical meaning is the phrase that he uses. He says, the son of man must suffer. The son of man must suffer. The reason why that's critical is, again, we have to remember the context, as I just mentioned. Peter has just said, you are the Christ. And Peter is in, I'm sorry, and Jesus is in essence saying, yes. Yes, I am. But not like you expect. Not like you expect at all. Son of man, this phrase son of man, we know from previous messages, if you've been with us on this journey, that this is an Old Testament reference to the Messiah. So in response to him saying you are the Christ, Jesus is saying the son of man. In other words, yes, I am the Messiah. The son of man must suffer. He then says, I am the Messiah, but I must suffer. This would have been confusing to say the least. As a young Jewish boy and boys, these disciples that are around him, they would have been taught that the Messiah will come to Jerusalem to rule, that he would be a victorious conqueror, that he would overthrow the Roman government, that that he would set up his throne and rule in Jerusalem. And so this idea of, of proclaiming that, yes, I am the Messiah, I am the Son of Man, and I must suffer, What? The two do not go together. It runs contrary to every expectation they have, everything that they've been taught. I mean, it would have been close to blasphemy. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't a whole new concept. Like Isaiah prophesied about the suffering Messiah in chapters 43, 44, 53 of Isaiah. But the problem is the Jewish people didn't really connect the dots. The disciples aren't understanding that the one that Isaiah was talking about is the Christ, the one that stands before them now. And Jesus, once again, is connecting dots. I am the Messiah, and I must suffer. Here's the problem. What Jesus is saying is going against their every expectation and their agenda. Their agenda. You see, the reality is you can't have an expectation without some form of an agenda. You have a plan of how things should work out. That's what causes you to have expectation. The root issue is an agenda that you have, a way you want it to play out, a plan that you have that you want to put into place. Gosh, don't you hate it when God doesn't function according to our expectations? When God doesn't understand, like, hello, we have an agenda, we have this all figured out, God, and it's the best for both of us. Like, if you just work it out this way, imagine how much more people will like you. I mean, come on, God, get on board with my idea on how this should play out. Don't worry. Just like us, Peter helps Jesus out. He helps him out in verse 32. We see it right here. And he, Jesus, said this plainly, as I already mentioned. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. It's absolutely incredible. All the while, if you've been with us, Peter has this problem with the way that Jesus is functioning. You know, he thinks he should be more popular than he is allowing himself to become. He's giving him direction at every turn. Hey, Jesus, you really shouldn't do that. Whoa, 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 don't. Come on. Hey, there's people waiting for us. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is like, nope, we're leaving. What? That's not how you start something. <laughs> and so one more time, here it is. Peter just identifies Jesus as the Christ the messiah and then as jesus says okay here it is this is what's going to happen plainly peter's like hold hold up hold up come here let me let me take you aside brother (laughs) yeah you need to stop this garbage what are you talking about and he rebukes him now what you need to understand about this word rebuke the greek word that's used here to describe how it is that that peter is responding to jesus is in fact the same word used to describe how jesus responds to demons that's how strong of a word is used that to give you a little bit of a snapshot. Peter isn't just like, oh, hold up. No, no, no. He's rebuking Jesus. Don't miss this. Peter is literally powering up at the one he just identified as the Messiah. I mean, after all, Peter knows better how things should go, right? I mean, he understands. He has a clear picture. Don't we all? <laughs> Peter is so incredibly close to every single one of us. How much, how often we say, hey, come on, God, you're getting this wrong. So what's Jesus' response? Verse 33. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is a pretty strong response. What's happening here? Is Peter possessed? Like, is that, is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying, hmm, hang on a second. Something's wrong. You are Satan. Get behind me. Is he literally rebuking Peter as being some way possessed? What in fact is Jesus saying? You see, there's, there's nothing in the original language to indicate that Jesus actually thinks Peter is possessed or that he's under some demonic influence. Nowhere in scripture has Jesus encountered a possessed person and left them that way, right? So if he did, in fact, that, think that Peter had become the embodiment of Satan or something like that, then we would see him retaliate in a way that would set Peter free. He's not doing that. So then what exactly is happening? I think Jesus is teaching them and us something about expectations. So here's what I, what I think we have to contemplate when our expectations are not lining up with reality. Based on what he says. He says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The metric can't be hard versus easy. No, our metric should be, is our expectation aligned with the things of God or are they aligned with the things of man? That's what Jesus is doing. He's he's turning and he's correcting. He's teaching the disciples. He looks to them all. Again, Peter has taken him aside so he could very much in an aside type manner rebuke Peter privately. He could also cast the demon out of him if he thinks he's actually possessed, but he doesn't do that. He looks to all the disciples and he teaches something. The metric can't be hard versus easy. Our metric should be, is our expectation aligned with the things of God or the things of man? Now listen, our expectations have to be greater than this world system. They have to be greater than this world system. It's not about power. It's not about stuff. It's not about our leisure. It's not about the path of least resistance. I know he's addressing what it is that I'm implying because of what he says next. Verses 34 through 35. Jesus then says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Deny, deny himself. It's running completely contrary to every agenda, to every expectation attached to the Messiah, attached to this group of followers that believe they're going to Jerusalem ultimately to rule. Like that's what's entering into their mind right now. Like, oh my gosh, we knew he was special, but he's the Messiah. Oh my gosh, we're in charge of the world. We know the guy with all the power. Deny? In order to save his life, is the phrase used. Save his life. This Greek word used for life here is where we actually get our English word for psychology, psyche. Jesus is talking about identity, he's talking about our ability to find ourselves, who we were actually created to be. Jesus is saying, Don't settle for a lesser version of who it is that you've been created to be. Don't buy in to the world's system. Instead, if you want to really know who it is you were created to be, then lay aside the systems of this world, the the idea of stuff and comfort and leisure, and lean in and follow me, not because the path is easy all the time, but because it's right. Let's put it together. Jesus is saying that he must suffer for our identity to be child of God. That's what he's declaring here. Listen, don't root your identity on gaining things in this world. I know that's easy to say, right? But the fact is the world pulls us in that direction. Nicer stuff. The marriage and a 1.2 children and <laughs> 2.1 dogs or whatever the heck the, the statistics are of the American dream currently. It's just, it's pulling us into a direction where we get lulled to sleep apart from what it is that we were created to be. Who it is that we were, were created to be and do the purpose and the intent that God has for our one and only life. To find true joy and meaning. You see, the Messiah. The Messiah, as these Jewish men would know, the the Messiah comes with all these expectations, all these preconceived ideas of who the Messiah would be. Peter at this point thinks the Messiah will go to Jerusalem to live. Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter's like, no, listen, you're going to Jerusalem to take power. And Jesus saying, No, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem to lay it, lay power down. <laughs> Peter's got to, you, you can almost feel the palatable frustration and anxiety of, of someone that, that feels like he knows everything that is right, that he understands who the Messiah is. He's got to be looking at Jesus like, What are you doing? Listen, you're going to Jerusalem to rule. And Jesus is saying, No, I'm going to Jerusalem to serve. What? This goes against everything, everything that I believe or know Jesus to be. This isn't the way the Messiah is supposed to work things out. This isn't what I thought for my life. You see, Peter was thinking about this world, but Jesus was doing something eternal. The temporal versus the eternal. God's plan was beautifully counterintuitive. It was a plan to go and lay down the authority that he has so that he could pay the ultimate price, that he would lay down his life for our sins, for mine and yours, so that we could come into right relationship with God, that forever, the the penalty of sin, the price would be paid with his blood, that he would have victory over sin and death, that he would rise again, and that because of that, we could be children of God. Why would we ever settle for a temporal version of that? Jesus was there to do eternal things. I want to tell you the same frustration that built up in Peter builds up in us today. We just think and we get wrapped up and we get worked up about these temporal things. Like, come on, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you working this out? But, but this is my plan. This is my agenda. And God's saying, why are you looking at the temporal There's something eternal taking place. There's something eternal taking place. Don't pursue the joy of the view. Enjoy the journey because there's a goal at hand and run the race. Run the race. Verses 36 through 37 say this. Jesus then says, he puts everything together right here. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Temporal versus eternal goes on. For what can a man give in return for his soul? He's giving perspective. He's laying it all out. This is, this is such a critical passage. It's so rich. If we could just grasp the implications, the gospel is not just about a journey of immoral versus moral. It's so much deeper and it is certainly not about gaining stuff. It's about an identity rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the implications of that identity with every relationship that we have, every person we come in contact with, the way we view every gift that we've been given by God himself, every possession that we have as a form of provision from God himself, that we would literally change the way we function because of who Jesus is, because of the truth of the gospel. And so I want to ask you, Is God messing with your expectations? He should be. This should jack you up. The gospel should mess with you every day of your life because every day of our lives, we're confronted with the temporal and we have to remind our hearts and our souls of that which is eternal, that which matters. Are you tempted to or are you currently rebuking God because this wasn't your plan? Whatever the this is, This wasn't your plan. This isn't how you thought it would work out. Come here, God. You're messing this up. Is your goal more about avoiding pain? Is it more about avoiding pain than moving forward in the journey that God's called you to live? If that's the case, then you've made Jesus just a means to your end and he never promised to be that. Jesus didn't come to be the means to your end. No, he does promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that you can find peace and joy in the journey, in the hard, in the pain, in the difficulty, that you're never alone, that he's walking alongside you. And so the question is, will you lay down your expectation for greater expectations? Will you lay down your preconceived idea that's rooted in that which is temporal for that which is eternal and greater? An eternal expectation. Lay down your expectation. (laughs) It's harder than it sounds, right? Like you can't just be like, okay, I get it. Um, I don't care about how I thought it was going to work out anymore. (laughs) Of course you care. So then then what do we do with this? What do we do with it? How do we come to a place where we can allow God to do what he's attempting to do in and through our lives? It comes to a place where we re-center our heart and mind on the truth of the gospel And we remind ourselves that that which God has done is something that we could never do for ourselves. And we ask the Lord himself to reorient our heart and mind that we could be focused on that which is eternal and that we wouldn't get wrapped up or frustrated or bogged down by that which is temporal. You see, the text requires something of us. And so the question that I want to ask you as you consider what it looks like to lay down expectation is this. What is something God is asking me to give up? What is something God is asking me to give up? Now, we often acquaint this type of question to an act of will and a painful sacrifice, you know, almost connecting it in some way with like, well, this brings me joy, but I have to stop because God's really boring and angry and that's the way Christianity should be. That's not what I'm talking about at all. And that's a complete misrepresentation of what Christianity is just to be clear. What I want you to do is I want you to look at this question through the lens of expectation. Say, okay, I have this temporal expectation on my life. I have this temporal perspective that I'm looking through. What is something that God is asking me to give up? What is an expectation that I need to lay down that I need to stop trying to fight for. And you know what I'm talking about because it's like you're on a gerbil wheel. You just keep trying to fight for that thing. Why? Because it's part of the plan. It's part of the agenda. It's part of the expectation of your life. Is God asking you to to lay that down? To declare that that God is enough? That you trust him with the plan? That he's with you through the hard? Through the lonely? Through the painful? What is it that God's asking you to lay down, to give up? What's that expectation? For some of you, the expectation is that you're your own savior. You think you can work out this thing yourself. My prayer is that today on some level you've realized you'll never be able to work it out on yourself. That apart from Christ, it's just this journey that you will continue to struggle with. And that ultimately it's only when you lay your life down and ask the Lord to be the Lord and leader of your life. And acknowledge what he has done for you, that you can be a child of the living God and find your purpose and his plan for your one and only life. And so to you, if, if that's you this morning, you want to lay down the expectation of being your own savior, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And you can do it in the convenience of wherever you find yourself right now. It doesn't have to sound this way, but some variation of acknowledging that you're a sinner. Asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins because of the, the price that he paid for them asking him to be the Lord and leader of your life. If you pray that prayer and you're with us live right now, I would just encourage you to, to click on request prayer. You'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts. If you're listening to this later, please reach out through our website or email. We'd love to walk alongside you in the decision that you've made. For others of us that have already crossed that line of salvation, maybe that expectation, maybe that uh, that agenda that we're Asking that God is asking us to give up this morning. Maybe it's around stuff. Maybe it's around a, a promotion that we're striving for, or the college that we just know we need to get into because then we'll have some form of worth or or that relationship that we're just confident is gonna fill the void in our lives. Maybe those expectations are the things you have to lay down and and be content with the identity of who we are in Christ. Say, God. I'm enough because you say I'm enough. I'm lovable because you love me. Lord, you've done the work that I could never do for myself. And so I will find contentment apart from these expectations and trust you in this journey. There's something that you have to to lay aside. Some of you need to do the hard thing and decide to enjoy the journey that God intended to stop trying to direct your own path, to stop trying to focus on the hard and, and, and the uh, concern that, listen, if God really loved me, he'd never make me go up this difficult hill. <laughs> find contentment in the fact that God will never leave you or forsake you and that he's walking you through the hard and the painful. Let's declare ourselves available today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we lay our lives down. We, we lay our expectations. We exchange our expectations for greater expectations, for eternal things. Lord, we lay aside that which is temporal and we pursue that which is eternal. We pray, Lord, that you would reset our heart and minds. Lord, that we would be transformed by the truth of who you are. We declare ourselves available. We thank you. We thank you that we can find life to the fullest in and through you. In your name we pray, amen, amen won't want to miss next week as we continue in the journey of greater expectations.
0: Well, that was an incredible week one of this new greater Expectations series. It's been such a good morning together, and we encourage you to stay engaged throughout the week and take time to respond to the word. When you hear an application question like, what is God asking me to give up? You may want to avoid hearing the answer to that. (laughs) But remember, laying down our expectations for the greater thing God has, even if it's hard, will always be worth it. I'm so excited for us as individuals and as a church to
1: see what God does through that. Applying the text is one way to worship this week. Another way to worship is something that we get to do together if you're gathered live, and that is singing. If you're connected at another time, you can still worship through song, either by finding the video posted on Facebook or singing along with the songs on Spotify. Just
0: search for Centerway Church and look for the Greater Expectations playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes.